Hi, church family. My name is Blair Jenkins, and I get to be the team lead for our student ministry department and the director of student ministry at our Foxborough campus. It is an honor to be with you here. If you've seen me before, it was probably in one of these videos. True or false? If you've never seen me here in this particular setting before, that's because this is my first time getting to address my whole Grace Chapel family, and that includes you. The extra bass that you feel coming through the speakers, yeah, that's probably my heartbeat. Um, if I pass out, we'll just edit it out. It'll be fine. Okay, are we ready? Okay, then. I don't think you're ready. I'm not even sure I was ready. Um, so that was me. That was possibly my most embarrassing photo, at least that I know of. Uh, so what's going on here? I'm at a youth ministry event. We'll just leave it at that. But why? Why would I do this? Why would I dress like this, act like this in front of people? Then I posed for a picture, which in this day and age, if, if that decision alone, if it's one you even get to make, can be a very costly one. And now my first appearance in this setting, my first sermon, I'm showing it to you as my opener, and it's ending up on YouTube forever. Why? Why am I doing this to myself? Because they did it. These are my old youth pastors. They did it for me. Now, that picture was taken in 2002, 2003. So in all fairness, they probably weren't expecting this moment right here, right now. But there they were playing these characters for our fall retreat. I believe one of the characters' names was Joey Bag of Donuts, uh, which is just too perfect of a name to forget ever. Um, but I did this because they did it first. What are you doing because someone did it for you? What are you doing or what can you do for the next generation or for someone else because someone did it for you and your generation or maybe you wish they did? Our goal as a church is to discover life with God for the good of the world. Our goal in student ministry is similar. We are about leading students to discover and own their faith. We aim to create safe and welcoming environments and opportunities for all students to discover and own something about who they are, who God is, who they are to God, and who God is to them. We do that because someone, maybe even many people, did it for us throughout our lifetime. But in order for us to continue to do that for them, in order for us to face the challenges that we face with this culture and this generation and help them do the same challenges of unprecedented anxiety and depression, being connected and comparing all of the time, wrestling with matters of mental health and neurodivergency, questions of self, identity, and value, we need you in the game. Oh, so that's what this is about. This is a recruiting sermon. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll just um, see what's up on Netflix. Before you do that, this is bigger than that. Even if you're joining us from far away. You know how we know that? Because you're here. You're watching this. Wherever you land on the spectrum of faith, God, and figuring out life with God for the good of the world, you're here because someone in your life loved Jesus, loved like Jesus, or pointed to Jesus with the way they lived their lives. And what we're about to dive into together is not just about student ministry or volunteering. It is about you. 
It is about our church family and about life with God for the good of the world. And that world includes the next generation. And this, this is the very conversation that ignited the first church and the first church ask for volunteers, not just volunteers, leaders. At the center of the story that we're about to dive into are the apostles. I'm going to use the word apostles and disciples almost interchangeably today. Suffice it to say that disciples are active students of a teacher, and apostles are those sent by the teacher into the world to teach others. They are messengers of his word to share that heaven is for all, and it is for all a choice through Jesus. So different roles, same people. And in order for us to understand what they are doing in this story, we need to first understand why they're doing it. We need a little bit of context for that. So we are going to spend some time in Acts chapter 5 and 6, mostly in chapter 6, taking a slight detour from Revelation, but we'll circle back to it um, in a couple hours before we leave. Okay, so Jesus has completed his three years in ministry on earth with his disciples. During that time, they came to understand that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. But when the time came for his crucifixion, they were terrified. This wasn't their understanding of what was supposed to happen to the Messiah. Even though Jesus told them that this is what would happen, that this was the plan all along, and that this was necessary, this flew in the face of everything they believed and expected, and it terrified them. So they hid. In the world that could kill the long-promised Messiah, the Son of God, something was very wrong, and surely they would be next. So these guys who professed to stand by Jesus, should the worst happen, were now disassociating themselves from him and cowering in fear. Please remember this. This is critical. They are cowards. Repeat after me. Yeah. The disciples are cowards. And so it comes as a stark contrast when we jump to Acts chapter 5, after Jesus has left, where we see that they are in Jerusalem, where Jesus was just killed, teaching and performing miraculous signs that point to Jesus. They are professing their love for him, they are loving like him, and they are pointing to him with their lives and their actions as the Messiah, the Son of God. And as a result, dozens of Jews are believing that Jesus is the Messiah, then hundreds, then thousands. But this starts to attract the attention of the very people who put Jesus to death. The religious leaders and Pharisees are freaking out. Why? It's the festival of Pentecost. So to put this in perspective, when you think of festival, think Taylor Swift concert. Think of thousands upon thousands from all over the surrounding area multiplying the population of, say, Foxborough. In this case, Jerusalem for a set period of time for a concert, or in this case, a festival. If Jews from far off lands believe what the apostles are teaching about Jesus as the Messiah, and then they go home to their far off lands, this will be a message the religious leaders cannot stop from spreading. So they arrested the apostles, and then this, is, this part gets really cool. Check this out, and don't tell me the Bible is boring. Um, Acts 5:17. But an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out, and he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. God broke them out of jail. He sprung them out. 
But don't miss what God then told them to go do immediately after breaking them out of prison. He sends them back to the scene of the arrest. He sends them back to the temple. Revelation, anyone? This isn't a rescue from a situation. This is a rescue mission into a situation. And these guys are his SEAL team. He sends them back into the heart of the chaos. You're not done yet. My message isn't done being proclaimed yet. I'm not finished yet. I'm just getting started. You have work to do. I put you here and I have not decided to remove you from here. And if someone comes and takes you away from the situation, the discomfort, the threat, the risks that are a part of my love, my good news reaching all people so that they will all know me personally, I will bring you back. I am not done. And so at daybreak, they're back at the temple and immediately begin teaching. And guess what? They're re-arrested, flogged in order never to speak the name of Jesus again. And then we read later on in that chapter, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, the, the, the scars, the bruises, the wounds, they're not even healed yet. They're walking around the next day after having been flogged, doing exactly what the religious leaders told them not to do, still bleeding, still stiff, maybe a couple broken bones, and they're rejoicing? Have they lost their minds? Why? Why, why would they do that? Why would they go back three times, day after day, repeat after me, the disciples are cowards? But the apostles are not. They are now preaching and teaching and performing miracles in the very place where Jesus was killed, on the very streets he was marched through toward his death, in the shadows of which the disciples hid and denied knowing him. Why? What changed? Because after Jesus was crucified, after he was arrested, after he was beaten, after he was threatened, hunted, betrayed, and eventually killed, he met them on a beach and he had breakfast with them three days later. He loved them and then he sent them. Death had lost its sting. Everything they once feared no longer mattered because they knew the one who changed everything and in so doing changed them. Through Jesus, they had direct access to God. Because Jesus did all of this for them, they went out to do the same for others. This is the good news that they couldn't contain, that the Pharisees try as they might couldn't contain, and that God wouldn't let anyone try to contain. This was a love more powerful than death. Important sidebar, and Andy Stanley says this perfectly. If the version of Christianity you were raised with or that you have right now doesn't strike you as good news, it's the wrong version. Everything about Jesus for everyone in the world is good news. The only ones it threatens are those who stand to lose out when God wins out. Those who stand in contradiction to him, his love, his grace, and his truth. So the apostles continued their teaching in spite of the threat on their lives. Why? Because Jesus did it first. They continued to love Jesus, love like Jesus, and point people to Jesus. But as time goes on and the festival is winding down, people aren't going home. 
they're staying to hear more about Jesus, which is awesome. But that would be the equivalent of like all of the Swifties, Taylor Swift fans, staying in Foxborough after the concert and like moving in. The economy is not ready for that, not an extended stay. And who's getting the short end of the stick in all of this? Luke tells us in chapter six, verse one, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the local widows, local to the area, aren't getting cared for because of the added strain on the economy and discrimination. And they're starving. They're being overlooked by, don't miss this, believers of Jesus. Well, this isn't the love of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are all one, and we must, and we get to love and care for all of those around us. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. This is what the apostles have been teaching. This is what Jesus taught them, that they are now teaching others. So, we read on. The 12 apostles called a meeting of all of the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. All right, so there's two very incredibly important things to note here. They're not passing off responsibility that they don't want to be bothered with or feel are too lowly for them to do. What they're saying is, hey, we can't neglect the teaching and sharing of the good news because we are uniquely positioned to share. Having witnessed Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, and having been called by Jesus to do exactly this. But we have a need over here. We can't do everything. We haven't been called to do everything. So we're going to choose seven from among you to lead this charge and take care of the widows. And then we can focus on what we are uniquely positioned to do. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us and with us. Second thing to note is this is not a volunteer recruitment strategy. It's so much bigger than that. Leaders have to call other leaders. Because the one leader who actually could have done it all, Jesus, and we're not that leader, even he called people and sent people. Leaders cannot be everything for everyone. And the one person who was still chose to commission others. They're doing this because it's what was done for them. The 12 of them cannot do everything. And if they put that on themselves, how arrogant, because even Jesus didn't do that. We are doomed to failure and smallness and cannot fulfill the call Jesus gave us if we do not call more leaders. And then something happened in the church that has never happened since, but oh, that it could. Verse five and six, everyone liked the idea. Everyone liked the idea. Like when, is, when was the last time that happened at any meeting, let alone a church meeting? The seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they lay their hands on them. I mean, we, we might chuckle, but the power of that. And remember, this is a cross-cultural thing. Greeks and Hebrews, Jews and non-Jews. And then they went out feeding the widows and, and leading others to Jesus. And the result, verse 7, so God's message continued to spread. So God's message continued 
to spread. And the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. I mean, that wasn't even the strategy of the ask. It was about the widows. But the, but the impact of them loving Jesus, loving like Jesus, and pointing to Jesus with the way they live their lives led some of the men who wanted them dead, the men who were jealous of their message and felt so threatened by it, to declare Jesus as their Messiah. We all have that person in our lives, don't we, who seems so far from Jesus and we think that there's no hope. Where there's Jesus, there is always hope. So what is food distribution in the ancient church have to do with serving students and others in the 21st century. One thing led to another. In the same way that the investment of my parents, my youth pastors, my small group leaders led me here and into 20 years of youth ministry and counting. And we don't need just seven of you. We need dozens of you. Uh, Let me be candid. You need dozens of you. If you're a family here with kids or teenagers, you need dozens of you. Your student campus directors and your children's directors cannot build and maintain transformative relationships with 200 kids and 80 students and their families. If you enjoy any of our small group ministries, you need dozens of you. Our campus pastors, women's and men's group leaders, small group leaders, they're not equipped or called to be everything for everyone. And if you're watching this from another campus or online, you need dozens of you. Our tech teams, digital teams cannot do it all. And the few cannot fund everything to make all of these things possible. Grace Chapel staff, whatever their department, are not positioned to be everything for everyone. The apostles weren't positioned to be everything for everyone. But that's not the role that they were given. They were sent to spread the good news and to make more people who would do the same. Next week, someone's going to show up with kids in tow. They're going to want to get them plugged in, and they're hoping that we get it right. They're praying like crazy that their kids will feel seen, heard, understood, and learn about who they are and who God is. And you might be an answer to that prayer. I mean, if it was your kid, wouldn't you want that in a church? Wouldn't you want that church to be a place where they were excited to go? where they could belong and have a safe place to wrestle with life and questions in community. But it won't be that without people like you. Because the campus directors alone cannot maintain such an environment. Church family, you need you. You need you. Your campus needs you. Your community needs you. Wherever you're watching this from, we have the opportunity to be an answer to those prayers. And it's not just kids and teens. There's someone in your neighborhood who is experimenting with God, giving God a try again in spite of their hurt, in spite of their past, in spite of their mistakes, in spite of the mistakes of other churches and other church people. There's someone in your or your kid's school who is wondering if they're lovable or even seen. Someone at the local care facility wondering if they're relevant anymore. Someone maybe in your home experiencing crushing heartbreak, wondering if God can or will help them. Someone next door who grew up a Christian but can't really say they know God or have felt him in a very long time, and they're just keeping up appearances. There are teenagers here who maybe are trying this God thing, but just because their parents wanted them to. And when they graduate from high school, they will have graduated from faith and church as well. 
but we get to be someone for a teenager who we wish we had when we were a teenager. Look, we all go through seasons where we're the ones who need prayer and support, but we also go through seasons in our lives where we're the ones who get to be an answer to those prayers. In 20, 30, 40 years time, who will be here because of you, because of your love for Jesus, because of how you love like Jesus, because of how your life points to Jesus? And if you're a teenager watching this, you're not exempt. High schoolers, how many middle schoolers will still be exploring God when they're in high school because of how the high schoolers they looked up to loved them? Middle schoolers, how many kids in elementary school are excited to try youth group out or or try God out because they saw you do it? I'm not here because I have a couple degrees and I know stuff or I have experience or because I think I'm cool and teenagers need me. I mean, remember this picture? I'm a goofball leader because he was a goofball leader. I, I got a picture with the retreat band and then I got to take the picture they wanted with the retreat band. My leaders invited me into their home and now I get to invite students into mine. My small group leader kept investing in my life long after high school, so I try to keep investing in theirs. They took me on my first mission trip, so this summer I will have taken 15 teams on their trips, many for whom it was their first. My senior pastor baptized me, and it was an honor and a privilege to baptize some of mine. Let me ask this, who is here because of him? Whose life has been impacted, equipped, or supported by Pastor Brian, personally or peripherally, in a big way or a small way? He's wrapping up 23 years, and in 23 years' time, raise your hand if Pastor Brian has impacted your relationship with God. Folks, that's what 23 years investing in a community can do. And he would be the first to tell you that he's here because of people like you who wore costumes and opened up their homes and taught the Bible and built a church that made kids and teenagers feel valued. One thing led to another. Who will be here exploring life with God for the good of the world because of you? If you're still not convinced, check out our annual celebration video. Not meeting, meetings are dumb. This is not. It is when we get to look at the past year and celebrate all that God has done, not through your Grace Chapel staff alone, but through those of you who have partnered with us, who have answered the call and partnered with what God is doing in and through and around Grace Chapel, with those who have and are discovering life with God for the good of the world. We'll get to hear stories of what God is doing in our children's ministry and in our student ministry in our group's ministry, and in all of the branches and areas of impact and influence, known and unknown, that God is having through Grace Chapel. Because many of you have decided to get in the game, to answer the call, we get to celebrate who is here because of you, and ultimately because of him. To those of you who get this, who help lead, help out, lead groups, lead in a whole host of other capacities, thank you. Thank you. For those of you who give on a regular basis, helping keep the lights on and the building running and the staff employed, who help fund everything we're able to do for you and for our community, thank you. To those of you who pray for us and reach out to your communities, thank you. And for those of you who haven't gotten engaged yet, please consider taking a step to engage more 
whether it's in the lives of young people around you or in the life of this church family or your community or wherever you're planted. We're glad you're here when you can make it, but we're better when you're engaged, whatever that looks like. And hey, look, I, I know you don't have the time. No one has the time. I'm asking you to make time. I'm asking you to give a half hour. I'm asking you to give a half hour of your time just to learn more, to talk to your campus children's director, your campus student director, your campus tech team leader, band leader, campus pastor, choose one. I am uniquely positioned to do a few things in this ministry, but I cannot do everything. That's not how I was designed. That's not what I was hired to do. And that's not what I or anyone on staff was called to do. Leaders have to call other leaders. That's why this is not just a volunteer ask. It's not that small. You are part of a bigger story. And if we're going to discover life with God for the good of the world, then we have to do it together. We have to change the way we operate or else we are doomed to failure and smallness otherwise. But more than that, when we come together, when you engage, there's power in that. The result, verse seven, and God's message continued to spread. I need you, we need you, you need you. And the reality is that when you give your life away, you find it. And because I lead our, our student ministry team and I have the microphone and the camera hasn't been shut off yet, these are the names and faces and email addresses of Grace Chapel's student ministry staff. 30 minutes. We'd love to have a conversation. At all of our campuses, there should be a table where you will find some amazing student ministry leaders or the director of student ministry, and you can set up a time to chat with them. Or you can go to grace.org slash servenextgen and let us know there. Summer is an excellent time to give, a, uh, to give student ministry a try, helping out at our events, get, getting to know students and other leaders and seeing what this could look like for you. But I'm gonna close with this. We've been diving into the book of Revelation lately, learning that this is not a book that tells us how we will escape all of the changes that come with the end times. That this is a rescue um, that this isn't a rescue from something, but we are told how God is sending us into those end times, that this is a book about what we've been rescued for because he wants to use us, because he wants to bring people to himself through the relationship they have with us, with you, and ultimately with Jesus. He's not done yet. We're not done yet. You're not done yet. So, who will be in relationship with God, added to his family because they met you and you. And they bumped into you and you listened to them and you saw them and you invited them over for a meal and, and you let them ask questions and, and you let them make mistakes and you forgave them and, and you withheld judgment and you loved them. Who will be here in 20, 30, 40 years time impacting the next generation after them because of how you love Jesus, how you loved like Jesus, and how your life points to Jesus. Why? Because he did it first. And then one thing led to another. Father God, if we were to just go into the world trying to turn people to Jesus, we would be exhausted. We would not be fruitful. 
and we would not be loving because how you showed us to love, how you showed us to go into the world, how you showed us to, to help bridge relationship between others and you was through relationship, was through loving them, was through loving them like you loved us. God, sometimes that's really hard and, and confusing or there's tension there. We've got problems with people um, or there's things just kind of holding us back judgments or politics or opinion or hurts. God, whatever it is, I pray that you would transform all of us here today, that you would remind us not just of your love, but of the people in our lives and our past who have loved us with your love, that you would inspire us to go do the same. And God, I pray, I pray that we would all feel a nudging, that we would all take a step, take a risk, rearrange our lives, reorder our lives around your mission, around loving others, around engaging in community with others because we are better together and we are part of a bigger story. Give us an idea of what next step to take and then give us the courage to take it. Guide our conversations and let us and help us to always remember who you are and what you've done for us so that we can go and do that for others. In Jesus' name, amen.